0: You're listening to another episode of A Lady and Some Dudes Podcast.
1: Welcome back to another episode of A Lady and Some Dudes Podcast. We're going to jump right into our show and start with our grateful moment. Evan, what are you grateful for this week?
2: I'm grateful because I had the opportunity this week to, um, I'm, I'm working on my PhD, but I'm doing a, a study and uh, it's a doing studies can be a tedious process. So I'm thankful that I'm nearing the conclusion of one of the studies I'm conducting.
1: Very nice. Kelvin, what are you grateful for?
3: What's going on everyone? Um really basic, man. I'm, I'm, um, I'm grateful to have another day. I'm grateful that I had a blessed weekend. Um, I'm grateful that my family's, uh, well, uh, the simple things sometimes we overlook, but mm-hmm. nobody's sick, nobody's suffering through any type of disease right now, and I'm just blessed to be alive and well and be with you guys today. Grateful.
1: Amen. Philip, what are you grateful for?
3: Hey,
4: good day, everyone. I'm grateful for um, my family. Like you said, the simple things, my girls, and just um, being healthy and during this um, crazy time. So I'm thankful
1: for that. Very nice. Lawrence, what are you thankful for?
0: Good morning. Uh, I'm thankful for this week in particular. Earlier this week, I got to uh, volunteer to speak to a class uh, from a students through a program called Plus Me on Giving Tuesday. So that was something that I don't do every every week uh and let alone every day. And it's and, and it was a great opportunity and definitely lifted my spirits up for a morning. So grateful for that as we come to the end of this week.
1: That's great. And I hello everyone. I am grateful for um my students. Um as my listeners know, I, I teach at an HBCU. The semester ended last week, grades were submitted last week, but we got our professor evaluations this week. And as tough as I am, no one got an A in any of my classes or anything, but the students gave raving, raving reviews. And, and I was super grateful, even the students that got Cs and lower. Um, so I am appreciative. Um, of the opportunity, the ability to shape young minds and to see that, you know, I'm making a little bit of a difference in in young professionals' lives. So I am super grateful for that. We're going to go right on ahead and jump into our interview. Today we have a really special treat for our listeners. We're very, very excited to have Lawrence Murray here with us. Um, He currently works as an editor um, at ESPN, and I'm not going to get into all his details because I want to give him an opportunity to tell our listeners about him, his background, and um, kind of where he is today. So, Lawrence, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me, and it's great to be here with y'all this morning.
1: Wonderful. Um, Tell our listeners a little bit about your backstory. Where are you from etc.
0: I'm from Philadelphia. Uh, we're we're KG, KG from Philly. So yeah, uh, yeah. shout out to the east side of things. I'm, I'm based in Los Angeles. I've been in Los Angeles for 10 years because I've actually graduated from California University of Pennsylvania. That's where I met uh, KG and uh, went back home and did a program called City Air, which is a nonprofit that serves with youth uh, trying to curb the dropout rate. And I actually went to Los Angeles to do the same thing, uh, served another year, led a, mid, led a team in a middle school, and eventually I went to USC to get a master's degree in journalism. And while I was at USC, that kind of helped me launch my career in some ways in journalism in in, uh, in media. I went to the Winter Olympic Games in Sochi in 2014, was there for three weeks and covered sports that I wasn't planning on covering when I started in grad school Um, and the sports that I was planning on covering I got to make some inroads there as well started covering the Clippers uh, for a site called Clipper blog and I was an NFL network researcher for a few years and then I got to ESPN as an NBA editor so that's where I've been ever since
1: that's awesome um Tell us a little bit really quickly about your role as researcher for the NFL. What did that entail exactly?
0: It was like customer service for any level of information that could be used digitally or broadcast. Uh, we that that team at the NFL, that that research department, were're there not just to answer the most basic questions about information or factual events, but we're also we're also in a position to provide an elevated level of content and context to the discussion of the game of football and the discourse of football. And for me, when I first got there, they didn't know me from the next person. Um, they actually didn't really like my resume that much, um, but because of who my resume came from, they're like, all right, let's have a courtesy interview with, with this person at least. Um, And I was really grateful for that because what I might've been missing on my resume, I made more than made up for not just in person, but with my level of preparation for covering uh, the game of football. And that's not even my first sport. My first sport was basketball. So um, when I, when they hired me, they were like, let's give you a couple months see what you can do. I got to work on shows like total access where you're in the production meetings you have the rundown and you're putting in the stats for the graphics people um, you're checking all that but then you're also in the means you get to work with the host and you get to work with the analysts and you get to provide the context about hey you know so-and-so is doing really well against this particular defense in the past or so-and-so is going to be having these are the draft assets they have like If you can have that stuff at the top of mind and you can express that to whoever the hosts are or whoever the analysts or even the guests. Sometimes I remember Antonio Brown came in one time and our department put together a chart of where he's most effective with his ability to get open and to make plays. And he wasn't quite a solid receiver down the field. And I showed him that and was talking to him about it. He was like, all right, bet, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to fix that. The next year he had one of his better uh, years of his career. So it's like, um, I I was in a position at the NFL where it's like some days I was on set working on shows, but some days I was just at my desk and getting ready for the research packet that our group would put out. So I did that for three years. The last day at the NFL was actually that Falcons Patriots Super Bowl. Uh, where obviously the Falcons blew a 28-3 lead. I was running the Twitter account for the NFL uh, Research Department that day. So you can imagine that was was a lot. A lot of records were broken that day. So uh, that was my time at the NFL.
3: Listen, listen, um, it's a lot to talk to you about, man, from from anywhere from the Drew League to the NBA, uh, a lot of things to talk to you about. But I want to go back, uh, I want to go back, before USC, when did you know you wanted to get into media analytics? What was that moment you said, "Okay, uh, this is what I want to do for my career"?
0: That's a it's an interesting question because it's been a rolling evolution. When I got to CalU, when you met me, Kelvin, I knew I wanted to do something with my with my life and what I'm calling uh, pro sports media. I wasn't calling it that (laughs) when I got to college, you know, I was a communication studies major, but I didn't want to be the one like just being a homer for the Cal U teams, for instance, you know, I mean, I was more comfortable being on the stats and information desk, uh, you know, during basketball games at Cal U. I wanted to play basketball still when I got to Cal U. So, uh, I needed to figure out what I was good at over a long period of time. I got to Cal U in 2005, graduate high school in 2005. I didn't get the master's degree until 2014. In between that time, I developed a sense of not just what I look like in, as a professional, but what am I interested in and what can get me paid and where do I need to do that? That took a long time to develop. I'm still kind of developing, <laughs> to be honest with you. I have a... You know, I'm blessed to have the position that I have now, but I'm not where I want to be ultimately, and I'm evolving uh, my sense of belonging um, in this industry. But w- the moment that pushed me to USC was simply I didn't have anything after City Year. I didn't. I was in Los Angeles. I didn't know enough people, evidently, and mm-hmm. I was like, I need to have a better network. I know I can write, and I know I can do so that isn't just spit and bland information. I can be relatable uh, and be in entertaining while informing. And I just felt like the best way to marry all of those attributes was to pursue a degree in journalism and to focus on doing that, just doing everything of in, the, in the media field uh, in, in terms of discussing pro
4: sports. Nice, well, that's cool, that's really good. So Lawrence, This is a part of your life where something said, aha, I enjoy. And for me, where I fell in love with sports was 1986, when I saw the Mets win a championship. So what was that aha moment for you to say, I enjoy this sport? And what sport was it?
0: Man, you remember NBA Jam when it came out?
4: Yeah. All right.
0: I was eight years old. I like video games. This is an easy story for me to tell, actually, uh, which if, if that's going to be the case when we talk, then then dope. But uh, <laughs> this was an easy one. I like video games. I, I was playing Super Mario. I was playing Street Fighter, Ninja Turtles, all of them. All right. uh, I did not like sports, so I was intimidated by... I, I was a scrawny kid, and so I was intimidated by ball sports especially. You know, um, NBA Jam was the thing that bridge the gap for me so it's like it was a video game and yeah it was basketball but it made basketball like accessible and I was really good at numbers and really good at math when I was even when I was young even when I was in elementary school so they had the ratings that kind of helped me too because it was like oh this person is supposed to do this well Mm -hmm. you cannot have these skills as long as you have these skills I was like all right cool and I did that, I was going to a police athletic league after school, you know, I would be in school, I would take the bus, go to this after school program at the uh, police athletic league in South Jersey um, before I moved back to Philly full time with my, with, my, with my parents. And um, it's like you playing the game and then across the hall is the gym. So after a while, I was like, oh, I want to try and do what they're doing in video games. And you can't do cannonball dunks or anything like that. So it was like, let me try and, like, get the ball in the basket. I'll shoot an underhand for a year. Um, and then it's like, i got the magazines and whatnot previewing the next seasons. And it was like, "Oh, look at all these numbers. Can I understand it all? Like let me put my own ratings together, you know, because um, it's not like they kept updating NBA Jam, you know, they stopped that after a while. So that that was my aha moment. Like NBA Jam was was the bridge for me that
2: um, that helped me get on this course to begin with. Wow. So uh, as you kind of talk about watching the game and wanting to get into the game, I guess my question is, um, and it, obviously you you're a numbers based researcher, so. From a numbers-based perspective, why don't some players who get to the league, who are doing well in college, not make it when they get to the league in the NBA professionally? Well, I'll I'll start with basketball.
0: Um, Basketball is a kind of sport where I think you need to be able to be a version of yourself and you kind of re- redefine that every step that you take. You you know, you when, when you change teams, that's easy to do. But when you change levels, I feel like that's a huge adjustment. And then it starts to be more than what you have physically. And you have to discuss the other aspects of the game. Um, you know, your mental awareness and focus, uh, your emotional intelligence. I think all of those things really matter. You hear all the time about guys who, you know, they get to a certain level of basketball, whether it's high school to college, college to 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 the pros. And the conversation changes. It's, oh, they do this on with their time off, or they don't love the game like that, or they didn't take care of their body, or they have some things going on off the court. Those are all factors that matter just as much as who your coach is, who your teammates are, and what your actual skill set is. Some players are willing to adapt their game for the situation that they're in, adapt their life for the situation that they're in. And uh, some don't make that commitment. And that's also, it works both ways. It's also how you see undrafted guys become stars. You know, a Fred Van Vliet, for instance, he's top of my mind because He's got a pretty easy slogan to go by, bet on yourself. It's like, he was the same dude. And it's like, all right, he was undrafted. If anything that helped him, because I think he said he wanted to be undrafted. He got to pick his situation. He knew his skill set. He knew what kind of poise that he had. And it's, I think we can objectively say it worked out for him.
1: That is, that is definitely true. Um, And I guess, Kind of back off, off of that question, looking at the numbers. Um, I don't know how much you knew about Steph Curry before he came in the league, but did you expect him to excel at the level that he has?
0: I think, I, I don't, I don't think anyone can say they expected him to be great. Let, Steph Curry is the, is the reason I heard of Davidson in the first place, you know, um, just like London, Houston, Kelvin will get this. London Houston is the reason I heard of California, Pennsylvania in the first place, you know. I mean, Steph Curry put a school on the map. If you can do that, you know, you go to a mid-major, even though he was the son of a really good NBA player, you know, you you have something special to begin with. But I mean, Steph and, Steph and Curry, um, I mean, look, even three years in the league, you know, at the end of his third year, he had Major ankle issues that compromised his next contract. Even at the end of his third NBA season, we saw NBA skills. But did you see unanimous MVP and and three time champion with that franchise? Keep in mind the Warriors had missed the playoffs sixteen out of seventeen years at at one point. Uh, I don't think anyone in it, anyone who's being really like serious about what they're seeing uh, could predict the kind of Stephen Curry that we see now in 2020 back in 2010.
3: Definitely, definitely agree. I was arguing with uh, somebody we know too, uh, Sharif Bray about that a long time ago uh, about that Steph Curry situation. Cause I didn't think he was going to be that good. I was, I'm happily wrong though. I'm I'm proud of his success, but I want to ask you a little bit about this Drew league thing. I want to, I want to tie it into this draft. All right. So, One of the highlights or highliners at the Drew League was LaMelo. Was it? It Is it LaMelo, right? Was it LaMelo played? It was LaMelo in
0: 2019, yeah.
3: Okay. So I want to know when you watched him play just at the Drew League, did you see a top three pick and how is his translate? How's his skills going to translate to the next level? When LaMelo
0: debuted at the Drew, I didn't know much about him outside of the 92 points of Chino Hills and bouncing all over the all over the world. Uh, we're not even talking about Australia at this point. He hadn't been in Australia yet. We didn't know he was going to go to Australia, but he had been in Lithuania, you know, he had been at in Ohio. So for a kid who was at the age of being able to be a freshman in college,
2: mm-hmm.
0: there was like a lot of, all right, You know, your Lonzo's brother, who's a pro, your LaVar's son, we all know what uh, the publicity that has come with that. Uh, A lot of people had a reason to be like, what's this kid about? LaMelo was incredibly impressive in the Drew in 2019 for two reasons. Number one, he was playing with grown men. Dudes don't come to the Drew and it's not a pickup game. might feel like a pickup game, but it's a league. It's a program league with dudes who get money playing hoop from all over the world in the craziest situations, okay? We're not talking about just the best countries in Europe. We're talking about the Middle East, dudes play at the Drew who've been in in Australia, been in Asia. So you come into the Drew, you come into South Central LA, and like, you can't just, you can't lollygag out there. You can't go through the motions. Mm -hmm. You know, if you do, you get embarrassed. Um, and I'm not saying that because someone told me to say that. I've seen it, I've covered the Drew since summer 2014, and there's people who were watching the Drew decades before that. Uh, I, I just know. Uh, LaMelo looked like he belonged, he looked like he belonged among grown men, playing a position where he had the ball all the time, and he was on a good team not a team of young, some of those were young, but it was, it was a mix of guys who, again, had been around and he belonged. But then there's the poise, he brought a crowd to the building people wanted to see him play and to get that status as a teenager at the drew is special and again you can lose your mind with that now nah, lamella was the same dude every week he's same dude every week he just smiled and played his game and elevated the talent around him and here's what you know is going to hit him now after he had played in australia he had a lot of time off because he stopped playing early because of a minor injury to get ready for the draft and then obviously this pandemic hit he's probably not going to start at the beginning of the year uh, he went to a team with two starting guards and uh, terry Rozier, who charlotte gave him a pretty significant contract and Devonte graham who was a most approved player candidate I didn't think he should have won, um, but he was absolutely better his second year than his first year, and he's a really good distributor. I think Graham has more of a sustainable skill set next to LaMelo than Rozier does. Rozier makes more sense off the bench eventually, but LaMelo hasn't played, and it's another adjustment. We talked about adjustments. I think LaMelo is a phenomenal passer, a preternatural passer. And that is going to be the skill that keeps him in the league for a long time. He's a six-seven guard who wants to rebound. Um, that's going to give him positional versatility. He can, you know, he's obviously most comfortable as a point guard offensively, but defensively he can play with other guards because you're not going to have a rebounding deficit. He's going to make some plays because he's six-seven with some length and he's probably going to still grow. Uh, that said, he's going to need to... He's going to be an adjustment shooting. I think he has three-point range, but I don't think he's a good shooter right now. He is not a good scorer. He's going to struggle to score. Um, We saw that with Lonzo. Lonzo is is one of the worst scoring um, point guards in the league as far as like a per-shot basis, but that's not Lonzo's game. Lonzo is a special NBA player because of his ability to pass the ball. Like those ball boys can throw the rock around. Um, That's... That, that is going to be Lamella's reality. Like, he's, it's his curve in terms of scoring where he can find his shots is going to be a major adjustment. But he is going to find passing lanes that are going to be in the 90-some percentile in the league. Uh, so it's going to take him a while. People need to be patient. And you got to, have the, you know, this ain't 2K. You don't, you don't just get a guy and be like, oh, he's going to drop 20 on day one. It's gonna take him some time. I don't know if he's ever gonna be a 20-point per game scorer in the NBA, but his ability to pass the ball is NBA ready right now. I can say that right now.
4: Wow. Well, we're here in Charlotte and we're looking forward to seeing that, but I'm a Knicks fan, so God <laughs> you bless <know>. you, man. <laughs> I have questions about that, but um uh, my but more importantly, um, Lawrence, what story have you brought to life that really touched you? Um, during your 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 time as an editor or a, a writer for ESPN, that some people might have missed.
0: That's a now I knew we was going to get a tough question, so congratulations, Philip. You, you got <laughs> one for me. Uh, you might have to help me out with that one. Um, a story that story that's bringing life.
4: Um, I know you've written extensively about the the about the Clippers. Right. Yeah. Um, that's the one. Um, I think you might have touched something about racial justice.
0: Yeah. Um, you know what's funny? When I first started with Clipper Blog, I was, I, I was just getting back from Russia, okay? February 2014. Two months later is when the dinosaur tapes came out. And I was in a pretty interesting uh, position um, in terms of being a person of color covering a team. Um, and this goes down it's like what's the context of it how can you put it in a way where people can understand like the gravity of it uh, and, and um, I, I was like all right I'm gonna I'm gonna write about it you know it's not really the thing that I uh, get a chance to write about it's not something that I look forward to I think when crazy things go down in social justice and we were reminded of that this year in 2020 mm-hmm. the energy is different but sometimes you projecting genuine feelings is difficult. And when emotions get into it, it's like, eh, not everyone is built for it. I'm not sure if I'm built for it to be honest with you. When stuff like that hits, I'm not really like, first off my mind is not, oh man, how can I get a byline about how racism affects me and the grand, you know, the big picture of sports, you know? But I was in that position in 2014. And um, I try to express myself in the context of where I was and the context of the players that i cover in the best way that I could. And I think, you know, thinking back to that in 2014 and seeing everything that we saw, especially as spring ended in 2020, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we tried to look and cover things in a different way. You know, it's very uncomfortable, especially to be a black person in a highly visible industry where you're basically putting your humanity out there and being like, please see me and see me in a way that it's not just because of what I look like or how I was brought up, but see me as someone who is like you as a human being. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I really would hope that it doesn't take highly visible, uncomfortable displays of racism uh, to be that person all the time and to be the professional uh, and to have that kind of ethos all the time. But the reality is that's uh, that's kind of the world that we live in and it's kind of the industry that we live in and uh, hopefully
2: we can just represent and make the best of it. So I'm about to ask you a loaded back to basketball. So i about to ask you a loaded question. Thank so, you for the, three, for, the, for, the, for, for the ease in. <laughs> I'm ready. So my question is, the 2020-2021 20, Sixers. What is Doc Irvus going to bring to that team? Two, how good can Tyrese Maxey be? And three, is there anyone that can get through to Ben Simmons?
0: Go. All right. Um, That right. I'm going to try and hit these real quick. Doc is going to try and be a better coach for Philly than Brett Brown was for Philadelphia and that Doc Rivers was from LA. I think even Doc is going to say that. I think Doc has alluded to those things. The accountability issues that Philly had really mirrored the accountability issues that the LA Clippers have under Doc. Um, But here's the difference between Doc and Brett. Brett was there for seven years. The same amount of time Doc was in LA. And you know what? When you're a coach, your voice gets stale sometimes and you either change out the players or you got to change out the coach. And again, Doc played in the league for a long time. Doc's been in the NBA in some capacity every year since like 1983. Doc knows. And I think that perspective is what that Philly team needs. And that is going to be their chance of, Improving. I think Doc is a pretty damn good coach. Um, and he's obviously a valued voice. Um, his impact isn't it can't be overstated though. So um that's what's gonna have to get through to Ben. This is the first time Ben's had a new coach in his NBA career. Um, Ben's going to be coached by a guy who's an all-star in the NBA. Um, so and, and Doc is the kind of coach who would say, I will sit you if you don't shoot. And you know what, Doc might actually be able to do that with someone like Ben in a way where, you know, Brett Brown probably couldn't. It's like, I remember when Vinny Del Negro was the head coach of the Clippers, a good Clippers team, but they let him go. Um, And they brought in Doc. And Doc was like, I'm going to do certain things with you guys that, you know, maybe Vinny wasn't willing to say because he was worried about his job and he didn't have the same level of cash with y'all, but I can do. Blake Griffin involved as a player under Doc. You know, Blake went from a guy who, ignorant people would say he doesn't have a dunk to a guy who was like, oh, look at his passing ability. Look at his ability to evolve his game, step out and shoot. By the time the Clippers traded him, he was a way better player and asset, even with the injuries than he was when when Doc got there. And that's really what the model should be for Ben Simmons. Uh, In the middle of that, you asked about Tyrese Maxey. I think Tyrese has an incredible basketball character. I think he's someone who wants to be good and is a actual, he's a really good guy. He's driven, he's motivated, he's got a good base. Um, Skill-wise, it's going to take him a while, and he went to a team that does not need him. (laughs) He's a luck, he's right now a 12th man on that roster, um, and he's got so many things he's got to work on. Um, If he's going to be a point guard, uh, which he really wasn't at Kentucky, you know, he's got to be better. Um, I think Tyrese represents a uh, high, not a high risk, high reward, low risk, Markel Foltz do over as a combo guard who can work with those guys. That is the, that, that is really the, what I'm looking at with him. Um, but it's, he's got, he's got a lot of work to do to, to uh, be an effective offensive player.
1: Thank you for that, for the 10 um, Philly fans that probably listened to this show um <laughs> Shout out to the hometown. <laughs> Um just to end it off, like I, I can't let you go without asking you because you're a basketball guy, you're an analytical guy. Who is the greatest basketball player of all time?
0: Um I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna say Michael Jordan. Um I'm gonna say Michael Jordan for two reasons. Number one, LeBron James is done playing yet. <laughs> So I'm a I'm a respect LeBron. He's asked for respect. I'm gonna respect LeBron and let him continue to have his career. You know, because um, he's the one who's putting a lot of heat on. It's it's I it's one of those things I can't go that deep on. You know, Michael Jordan. Let's just be real. People say he's the greatest for two reasons. One, because them highlights, them highlights are impeccable. Okay. And two, I think we saw this year when the pandemic hit the power of that brand. And it ain't just what you did on the court. It really isn't. It's your ability to transcend what you did on the court and connect. And that's where, that's where it is for Michael Jordan. You know, every decade in the NBA is some level of Lakers or Celtics BS, except the 90s. The Chicago Bulls, think about the Chicago Bulls. Everyone knows, and everyone's a huge, everyone who is a huge fan of the Chicago Bulls, both uh, domestically and internationally, it's because of one dude, you know? Them six championships, that era, I mean, there's no other player who transcended a franchise like that. You know, every other franchise are built on the power of the volume of individuals who have played for them, and they've been great. Michael Jordan. It's like before Mike, Chicago Bulls irrelevant. We all know that. Since Mike, that team's been the one conference finals, and they lost it. Okay, like that. That, that that's why Michael Jordan is the is, is the greatest for me. But you know, ask me again in five years.
1: And you know what? We definitely will do that. Matter of fact, we'll ask you in about two and a half years or so. We should probably have a good um, base. And we'll, uh, we'll,
0: we'll know how good Space Jam uh, is by then, too.
1: Yeah, it's going <laughs> to be dry. But, yeah, so thank you so much for coming on. Like, I really, really enjoyed you. I feel like we have a million more questions to ask you, but for the purpose of time, we'll end it here. We hope that you would accept a future invitation because I feel like there's just so much more to kind of unpack.
0: Yeah. Hey. Um, hey. Um, I, I appreciate it. Uh, it's, like I said, it's Sunday morning blessings on Sunday morning. So um, thank you all for helping me get up.
1: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of A Lady and Some Dudes. Please remember to follow us, like, share. We are on Facebook and Instagram. Our Facebook handle is at a lady and that is the and sign, some dudes. Our handle on Instagram is a lady and some dudes. Everything is spelled out. So that's a lady, A and D, some dudes. Until next time.